You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Thank you guys for being here today. Um, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here. Michael is with his fam in Florida. They're doing some dance stuff down there, one of the kiddos is, and then um, he and, and Scott and Kelly and my wife and I will be joining him down there in Florida. But So today I will be preaching. I'm thankful for that opportunity. And uh, let me pray for us, and then we will jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 3. God, thanks for this gathering today. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for letting us sing to you and communicate to you through prayer and through song. And God, I pray that as we hear your word preached, that you would allow us to be attentive, not to me, but to what your spirit wants us to know and hear today, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that by your grace, you would work in us and through us to accomplish your mission here at the Village Church. We love you, we need you, and we pray that you would help us this morning, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, the question for you guys today is, is what gives you confidence when you go through life, whether things are great this week or whether you have a plan and it just, just something happens to derail it, what do you rest your confidence in? It could be anything. Um, I was a sophomore in high school and I was in geometry class and I, I didn't come from like an old pair of shoes that had like a massive hole right there and my sock would stick out and so I'm sitting there in geometry class trying to listen and there was another guy. We lived like in a, a kind of a hick town called Cedarville. It was rural, really small. There was a guy named Benji that would sit, sit across from me. And he would make fun of my socks sticking out of this hole in my shoe. And he would then add to that by throwing cor- corn kernels at me in geometry class. And so that was no fun. Like, obviously, that like hindered my self-esteem for sure. And it was, it was embarrassing. And so I'd go home and tell my family, like, hey, like, is there any way that I can get a new pair of shoes? That would probably solve all of this, and, and my parents gave me this advice, like, well, we'll tell him to buy a new pair of shoes, and, and that just didn't work. Obviously, Benji was not going to buy me a new pair of shoes, and he continued to throw corn kernels at me. As much as I would have thought, you know, my confidence might have been a new pair of shoes, we all have something like that, that we would say, gosh, if only this were different, then life would be, or, or, or whatever that is. So my question for you is, what do you rest your confidence in this morning? And the silliest putting my confidence in a new pair of shoes was we all have that something. Today we're finding, we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, this is a letter to the Corinthian church written by Paul. And he is going to talk to us about the old covenant and the new covenant. And he's going to contrast that one is greater than the other and where he puts his confidence. Um, as like a brief overview, we're going to break down what the old covenant is what the new covenant is, but just as like a little teaser of what those are, in case you haven't heard of this before, the old covenant in just a simplistic form is if you obey the law, then you are in right standing before God. The new covenant says Jesus fulfills the law, and we are now under grace, living with the Spirit's help. And for us, where I want us to to find ourselves today is that probably a lot of us know about the finished work of Jesus. You hear that in almost every message, and you know maybe about the new covenant even, and you probably know about the Old Covenant, but I think a lot of us would say that we, we believe the New Covenant, but if we're honest, we probably live like we're under the Old Covenant. And so that is the tension for us. That's where I want us to look and see where we miss or how we might need to believe 
more in the work of Christ. And for us today, we're going to talk about the text, we're going to compare and contrast the covenants, and we're going to draw some application from that. And again, the question is today, is your confidence at the end of this message in the new covenant? The title for today for taking notes is Place Your Confidence in the New Covenant. And if you're taking notes, this is, the, this is like the main idea. If you, if you get nothing else, please write this down. The New Covenant validates us before the Father, empowers us through the Spirit, and emboldens us to reflect Christ. I'll say it one more time. The New Covenant validates us before the Father, empowers us through the Spirit, and emboldens us to reflect Christ. So we will get to the text in just a second. We do have a focal passage. But before we get to it, I want to give a little background into where we are with 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, gospel, they were, you know, talking about the Bible and stuff, but they were using it in a way that built their own platform. And what we see in 2 Corinthians 2.17 from last week is that they were like building up their own platform. And when we enter um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that they're one-upping each other. They're, they're getting letters of validation and recommendation from other churches saying, hey, this, this false apostle, or they wouldn't call themselves false apostles, false apostles, but they would get letters saying, hey, I, I preached at all these churches. You want me to be at your church, or this is what I've done. Please recommend me so I look better. And they were kind of like building themselves up, building their platform. And what's sad is that the Corinthian church that Paul helped to start was joining in on this. They were like, hey, Paul, where's your letter of recommendation? What validates you, Paul, as an apostle of Christ? And and why they would say this is because Paul's ministry did actually look very different from the ministry of the false apostles. The false apostles had more of like um, an American dream ministry where they were probably well off. They got supported by their churches. It looked on the outside like everything was successful. They, they didn't get beaten like Paul got beaten. They, they went around and people applauded and, and built them up. In, in, in contrast to Paul's ministry, Paul was not present at the church at this time. He had suffered a lot. He, he tells us in other places in the Bible that he had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten, left for dead, abandoned. And that's not something that every one of us would want to get on board with, right? That doesn't look like God is blessing your ministry when that happens. Paul didn't accept some of like the apostolic benefits of like pay from other churches, and he didn't brag or tried to build up his platform. And so when you look at the two, the false apostles versus Paul's, they did look very different, and that's why the Corinthian church was like, hey, uh, are you a legit apostle? Things don't look like they're going well for you. So we're going to jump in. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Here we go. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known in Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have, there's our word, through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is in God who made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills. Here it might sound a little confusing, but basically Paul starts out in chapter 3, and it almost sounds a little sarcastic. He might be a little hurt. He's like, hey, uh, are we beginning to do this again? As, you know, as some do, you know, we're, you're needing letters of recommendation. I, I think that would be painful to have the church that you helped to start 
asking about your validation, asking if you are, are a real apostle. He probably was like, I'm, I made you. You know, I helped to start you. Where would you be without me in his head? And the Corinthian church and the false apostles were relying, though, on human affirmation as a way of validating if someone was a legit apostle or not. And uh, Paul kind of starts out and goes where we might go if someone questioned our validation. If someone came to you and was like, hey, like, why do you get to do what you do? Or what makes you kind of in this position or the big deal? What would you say? What would you go to if someone questioned why you did what you did? If it was, if it was me, I would probably just in my mind go to like, well, I, I've done this. Or I've helped start this. Or you, you would go to something that you've done, right? Or maybe something that you have studied or, or something that gives you the validation you think, you know, what you would deserve. And Paul does start there. Paul says that the new life in Christ the changed hearts of the Corinthian church is his letter of validation from God of Paul's apostleship and sufficiency. But he doesn't stop there. And this is what I want us to see from this point of the new covenant validates us before the Father is that Paul's confidence was not in the results of his ministry, but in what was causing the results. Paul's confidence was not in the fact that people were coming to know Christ or that his church was healthy and growing. Paul's confidence was in the power of the new covenant. So let's see why Paul's confidence was in this new covenant. We're going to talk about now the old covenant, and I'm going to talk about kind of the good of it, kind of where it is insufficient. Then I'm going to compare and contrast it to the new covenant. Real quickly, um, there is like a women's discipleship group called Rooted, and this is just a quick plug. It's kind of led by like Kelly O and, and Veth B. I don't know if any of them are here today. But they actually studied the covenants and this stuff a couple months back. And so I'm going to give, again, some brief overviews, going to give a little history into this and teach on it, but if you like, want to go deeper, they might be good resources to talk to about this. So how did the Old Covenant come into being? First off, we don't use the word covenant very often, and so what a covenant is, it's, it's a formal binding agreement in which each party agrees to specific terms. It's like if one party says, hey, I promise to do this, the other party says, I promise to do this, boom, you got a covenant. It started with God promising Abraham a couple things, land, descendants, and a great nation. And these promises were passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And then we kind of take a little break from it, and then God picks it back up with Moses about 430-ish years later. And he says this in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. This is, this is God talking. Now therefore, this is God talking to his people, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And, and lastly, as just like some history to, to help you know what it is, the Old Covenant consisted of like the Ten Commandments and a total of about 300, 613 laws. The Old Covenant, so that was kind of like the good part of it. The Old Covenant was also insufficient in the fact that the fault of it was with the people. The people we're not able to obey God as he commanded. He's, basically, God said, if you do these things, then I will do this. And of course, we know that the people were not able to live out those things. But again, the fault wasn't with the old covenant. The fault was with the people. Paul describes the old covenant like this. And he says it from scripture in chapter three. Kills that which is being brought to an end. And so again, it's good, but also it was insufficient. The old covenant revealed the sin and wickedness of our hearts and the people's hearts. It revealed the inability for us to keep the law as God would want us to. It condemned without having the power to save. And it revealed that we are not good enough. That, that we can't, on our own, 
do what God is asking us to do, that, that we need something outside of ourselves to rescue us, something greater, something to validate us before the Father. So let's get to the new covenant. What, what is the new covenant? Briefly, the new covenant is the ultimate solution to human rebellion. It's where God says in Hebrews 8.10, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant is the completed work of Jesus. And so again, we don't say a lot the new covenant, but you probably know it by the completed work of Jesus, which we talk about all the time. It's, his, it's Jesus' perfect life, his death, resurrection, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And when the Father looks at us through the new covenant, he doesn't see us as broken and sin-filled and rebels of him, separated from him. When God the Father looks at us, he sees us through the work of Jesus Christ. Because of the work of Jesus, God the Father sees us as his own son. He sees us as adopted, loved, beautiful, and righteous, validated before the Father by the work of Jesus. We are an heir of the King forever. What's amazing about this is that when we, when we believe that, we have nothing left to prove in the past, and there is nothing more we can gain in the future. When we understand, as Paul did, the miracle of the new covenant, it frees us from seeking validation from anywhere else or from anything else. And some application for us from this first point. Um, because the new covenant validates us, we don't have to self-promote. We don't have to feel Church, like, we are not enough. And I do this all the time. Like, I'll walk past a cop in the mall, and I'll just feel like he thinks I've done something. I don't know if you can relate to this, but, like, he's standing there, like, and I'll walk past, you know, with my bags, receipt, like, sticking out of it just to make sure he sees me, and I'll just assume he's, like, ready to beat me down. And I don't know if you guys feel that way or not, but, like, gosh, we live sometimes feeling like we're just not enough in any area of life, whether you're a parent, whether you are a friend, whether you're in a position at work. It's easy just to feel all the time, like, gosh, we're just always failing, never enough. Because the new covenant validates us, we don't need letters of validation. We don't need to crave human approval. Guys, we crave validation when we forget whose we are, when we forget what has been done, when we live like we're under the old covenant. So how are we like these false apostles? Because it would be easy to say, gosh, they're so stupid. Like, they just didn't get it. Paul was right there. You know, Jesus had just, you know, done his ministry. And how could they not see this? But my question for you guys is, do you crave validation or seek it from others? Maybe it's not even verbal. Maybe it's just in your head. Like, gosh, I want them to think of me as this. Or I hope they say this about me. Or I hope they affirm me in this way. Do you feel like you're not good enough or constantly need to prove your worth. The new covenant leaves nothing for us to prove. The new covenant validates us before the Father. That's point one. Going to, to point number two and kind of carrying on in this, this section of Scripture, the number point, point number two is the new covenant empowers us through the Spirit. The new covenant empowers us through the Spirit. Paul is more excited about this new covenant than I think we let on or he lets on, but like when we read this in a second, I hope that we see that he is like, just, he's, it's amazing what he does, and he just rambles on about the glory and all this stuff. So going from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant for Paul is literally like a game changer. It's a, it's a new way of life. By comparison, in Paul's mind, the Old Covenant is like a horse and buggy. New Covenant is like a jet plane. Or like the Old Covenant is like smoke signals, and the New Covenant is like a smartphone. There's that big of a difference in Paul's mind about these things. We also observe, as we look at this, 
um, as Paul contrasts each of the Old Covenant to New Covenant, the glory that he ascribes. He says that the Old Covenant does have glory. It was good. It was from God. But the New Covenant, he says, has such a greater glory that we can't even imagine it. Glory, we don't use that word a lot, and if you're new here, glory is like a very great praise, honor, distinction, or renown, or like a weightiness. It's almost as if Paul is going to burst as he writes. And he actually compares the New Covenant and the Old Covenant four different times in a row. And so we're going to read this in a second, but I want us to read this with his excitement in mind. And as we read it, I want us to ask these questions. Why is the New Covenant so much better? Why does it have so much glory as Paul is going to share us? I think he says glory in this next section like 90 times, and it's crazy. And lastly, before we read this, um, like when I watch my dad watch a movie, or when I watch my dad watch like a close sports game, like it's, his intensity is just like all over. It's literally like when, when it's going on, he's watching this like, like this. He's just, you can watch him and it's like, just, he's like on edge waiting to see what's happening. His hands are like kind of in his face, is like tense. And I think Paul is almost like that if we get this picture, like what's going to happen? You know, it's like blowing up. So man, with that mindset, with that intensity, I'm going to read from 7 to 11 and, and follow along with me as I read this out loud. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must, must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And that's even hard to read. There's just so much it feels like you're just stumbling all over it. But Paul is going over and above to make sure that we understand that the new covenant has this high level of glory, so much more than the old covenant does. So let's compare and contrast the old covenant in regards to the second point again, which is the new covenant empowers us through the Spirit. In regards to the Old Covenant, Paul says that the Old Covenant is glorious. So why is that? In the Old Covenant, God told the people how he wanted them to live and what their relationship with him would be. And that's amazing. We can can run over that really quickly, but guess what? To have God come down and talk to a people and say, I want a relationship with you. Like, that'd be easy to miss, but that's like a big deal. It's God's kind of DTR with his people saying, this is how I want this to look. The Old Covenant was, necess- was a necessary step in redemption, um, and it was meant to reveal the sin, brokenness, and our need for a Savior. So again, huge in us seeing ourselves rightly before God. It would be easy if there was no law or no Old Covenant to think, oh, we're pretty good, or you know, we might be able to measure up to God's standards. But the Old Covenant um, clearly says, gosh, this is, this is the expectation God has, and we see how we don't reach up or don't live up to that. Also, the Old Covenant had so much more glory that Moses' face glowed. Moses was in the presence of God. He talked with God. He received the Ten Commandments from God. Um, and his face, as he left the presence of God, like shined. It, it shineth or it shoneth, as one of the versions might actually tell us. But the Old Covenant was insufficient as well. The Old Covenant was, it set a high bar to attain, and it did not empower the people to be able to live up to that high bar or to reach that. The Old Covenant was powerless to change the hearts of the people. Moses, their leader, was powerless to force them to do these things. And the people themselves were not able to live up to the bar that the Old Covenant set. 
you could say that the old covenant was powerless to empower someone to obey God. Even if one of us, or even if one of those people had the desire, saying, I want to honor God, I want to live for him as he wants me to, there was no way that they were equipped or empowered to do that. The people's condition seemed hopeless. You can imagine if you were living under that, and broken, unable to change, and unable to live as they should, they were deserving of punishment, and living in this reality for them was probably crushing and unbearable. So this takes us to the new covenant in point number two, in regards to the Holy Spirit and empowering. We're talking about the new covenant. Paul says the new covenant had mind-blowing glory. The new covenant is the finished work of Jesus, as we said earlier, and empowers us to live through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be changed, and then to live life. The new covenant says that when that we couldn't, God did, and he could. When we were faithless, God remained faithful, and that when we sinned, Jesus remains sinless. I want us to listen to the language Paul uses. It's so easy because when I read that passage from 7 to 11, it's easy for it all to run together because we hear so many of the same words. But I, I just put them out here on paper and listen to the language Paul uses as he contrasts the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is the ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. The Old Covenant is the ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. The Old Covenant had no glory compared to the glory of the New Covenant, and the Old Covenant was temporary versus the New Covenant being permanent. So what provides the power for us to live in the New Covenant? Where does this power come from? Ezekiel 36, 25-27 says this. This is God talking. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And don't miss this. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives, in, lives inside of us. We are no longer powerless to change. God changes us. He literally places in, in our hearts a new heart. He takes out our heart of stone and puts back in us a heart of flesh. We're no longer powerless. Through the new covenant, we are empowered to live the way God calls us to live. And as, as applying point number two, this is what I want us to believe this morning. Church, I want us to believe that the Holy Spirit can empower you. And as a simple application, like this week was, was really busy and, and tough for me and my family. And, and maybe you can relate to this. You wake up on, say, a Monday morning, and maybe like, you just have this dread of the week. Uh, maybe there's like work is, is crazy. Maybe if you have kiddos, they're sick and, and whatever. Maybe relationships are tough. Maybe you're, there's something going on that you just dread or there's this weight. And you're thinking in your mind, as, as my normal response was, if I can just make it to Friday, or if I can just make it past this thing, then I will be good, or then I think we'll be able to breathe a little bit. And, and what that says in my heart is I'm trying to live my life apart from God, and I'm trying to do it in my own strength, and I think I have in me enough strength to make it this far. And when we talk like that, isn't that kind of sad? That it's, it's, it, we're living under the old covenant when I think like that or when we think like that. And what I want us to know is applying what we just talked about says that we get to live each moment of every day, knowing the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, 
and is able to sustain us and empower us for whatever the week has. How much different would it be, instead of saying, gosh, if I could only get to this day, what would it be like if in the moment I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but, but God, I know that you are inside of me, and I'm going to walk each moment trusting that you will sustain me and empower me to live in a way that pleases you. Each moment is a gift, as cheesy as that could sound, and we get to live this life not on our own strength, not apart from God, not just trying to get through the week, but saying, God, you are inside of me, and you can empower me to get through this, and we put our trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second way I wanted to kind of bring this home is we get to believe that the Holy Spirit is the agent God uses for repentance and belief. We value community here at the Village Church, and we gather weekly in community groups to learn and to grow together and be discipled. Um, in those groups, we have been going through, most of us have been going through a video series called um, Gospel Fluency by a pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt. And it's basically him teaching on how the gospel applies to all of our life. And in one of those, I think it's the second one, he talks about, so Jeff is here, Jeff has a friend from community group, and then there is this guy called Clay. He's like a newer Christian. They go to a concert, the three of them, and Concert Clay, or he calls himself Concert Clay there because he lives differently at concerts. He, like, puts on a hat. He goes crazy. He gets drunk. He does inappropriate things with women. He just, he lives, like, horribly different from how you would think a Christian might want to live. And so at the end of this, Jeff and his friend over here are like, this is ridiculous. Like, we got to talk to this guy. We got to, you know, straighten this thing out. And, And what Jeff says, it literally changed how I think of things. Jeff's like, what if we just prayed real quick that the Holy Spirit would do the work? And I was like, you know, like, gosh, like, I, I, I studied the Bible, and I, you know, I've been around gospel, gospel community. And, and so what Jeff did with his friend was they prayed in that moment for Concert Clay, and they said, Holy Spirit, you, you do your work. You are the one that convicts of sin. You are the one that empowers. Change him, help him to see his, you know, where he's living is, is not you know, honoring to God and reflecting God. And, and guess what? Two weeks later, story is true. But, well, Jeff says it's true. I believe him. Um, Concert Clay comes to community group two weeks later and says, hey, um, man, guys, I, I want to apologize for what I did at the concert two weeks ago. I, I man, I, I'm embarrassed of that. I see that. What like that? Do we rest in the Holy Spirit enough to say, do your work? And that doesn't mean that we never have conversations, right? God uses us, too, to speak truth to people in love. But what if we relied on the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, you live inside of that person too. Would you convict them? Would you empower them? Would you bring to their mind how they are missing and then allow them to change? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit works like this? When was the last time we prayed for something like this church? The new covenant empowers us through the Spirit. Point number three, the new covenant emboldens us to reflect Christ. This will be um, verses 12 through the rest of the chapter. We'll get there in a second. Again, I want to kind of just set this up. Guys, um, we get to access the presence of God. We get to access the presence of God. And when I say that, like, I'm not just expecting everyone to cheer and clap and, and go crazy, but I think this is one of the biggest things, as I was thinking about this this week, that we miss on. Like, the fact that we get to talk to God, the fact that we get to have relationship with God, should just cause us to break out in loud cheer all the time. So I want, to, I want us to think for a second. Can you imagine if we didn't? What if you couldn't pray to God directly? 
What if he didn't live inside of us, present and empowering us? What if you were told today, God doesn't want to have a relationship with you? What if he said that? What if, what if we spoke and said, you know what, we're done? Would things change? Like, how would, how would you respond or react? That is like crushing. We get to talk with God, church. We get to pray to him. We get to, to be in right relationship with him. This is the God who created everything. We get to have right relationship with God who is powerful, who speaks and created things out of nothing, who talks to water and it does what he says. And this God, though there are seven billion people in the world today, knows you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he chose to give himself for us that we might gain access to the Father. He wants to be with us. Can you just sit with that for a second? God wants to be with you. Isn't that what each of us really want down deep? That somebody, no less God, would want to be with us. To know that. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. Follow along if you can. Again, this is Paul. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses. Could we just stop there? Is it, I, just, I have a feeling like Moses knew this was being written. He's probably in heaven looking down. He's like, come on. Like, can you just not do this? Like, I tried. I was under the old covenant. I had these people that were like slaves and in the wilderness, and we were in there for 40 years. And could you just but it, like Paul just like rips him, and it's, it's actually kind of funny, and we just have to be able to see that in Scripture sometimes. Since we have this hope, we are, not, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. That when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So Paul references a veil several times in there. And just to give a little background, in Exodus again, when, when Moses receives the Ten Commandments, like we talked about, his face glowed and the people freaked out. They were worried, and, and the glow was not that Moses was special, but hit, the glow reflected the presence of God to the people. And so Moses put a veil over his face and that kind of separated them and also hid the glory of God. The veil that he is talking about, that Paul is talking about here, was symbolic of the hardness of our hearts, as Paul says in here. It's symbolic of the separation between us and God and the people in God. And it's symbolic that it's keeping, um, it's keeping us from beholding who God really is. Both the physical veil that Moses wore and the symbolic veil that Paul says is over the hearts of those who don't know God today. In, in, in church, there is actually a second veil that we haven't talked about yet. In the temple, um, back in kind of Jesus' time, there was two main places. There was a part called the Holy of Holies, where they believed the presence of God was. There was like a massive curtain or a veil or like a barrier, and then there was the people on this side of things, and the curtain kept them from coming together. The people were not allowed to go past the curtain, or they could literally die because God was so holy and the people were so sinful. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, when he completed all that God had for him to do, he cried out in a loud voice and said, It is finished! And he died on the cross for our sins. And guess what? The veil in the temple tore from top to bottom, opening up where God was and where the people were. When Jesus died on the cross, completing all that the Father had, the veil tore. On the cross, Jesus conquered both veils for us, giving us direct access to God himself. So what does Paul tell us to do with this information? He says, write a check for $5,000 and you too can have this. He doesn't do that, I promise. Paul simply says in verse 16, I'll read it, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Don't have to live under the veil today. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to worship somewhere else. Under the new covenant, we can come as we are. We can repent of our sins and know that God wants to have a relationship with us, that He has made a way for us to be restored and forgiven. Also, when we turn to the Lord, Paul says in verse 17, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We don't have to carry the weight of the Old Covenant saying, you have to live like this, or if you don't, then condemnation. We don't have to bring God anything. The work is finished, our eternal debts are paid, and there is no punishment waiting for us. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for us, and now in freedom, we get to obey God with the Spirit's help. Not to earn God or His love, but because we have access to the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's, that's Christ. This is what he calls us to do. Let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Guys, this is why Paul is so bold. This is why he has such a confidence in the new covenant. Because of the work of Jesus, Paul had access to God himself. Because of the work of Jesus, Paul was enough. Because of the work of Jesus, God liked Paul. And lastly, because of the work of Jesus, God wanted to be with him. So how do we become bold? It would be easy for me to say, hey, believe in the new covenant and, and become bold, and man, life will be good. Um, I was thinking through this, and I don't have like a clear way of saying, gosh, do this, and then you um, buy a new grill. And so, you know, he's, this person, guy or girl, um, assembling it, excited about it, they're kind of figuring it out, though. They don't have maybe all the confidence in this new grill yet, but as they get to grill, like, wonderful chicken and steaks and whatever you grill on a grill, they get to enjoy it. They know the grill. They see all the burners and cool stuff and where things hang. They enjoy the good food. They start to get a confidence in the quality of the grill, and over time, they start to talk about this grill to other people if it's that good, right? They'll say, hey, check out this grill, man. It's good. You should get one, too. And all of a sudden, this confidence builds as they spend time with the grill, as they use it, as they get to know it. And I think... And again, this is not a perfect example, but in a similar way, as we spend time with God, as we learn about the new covenant, as we enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us, I think this confidence grows in us to proclaim Christ, to, to live as he wants us to live with his help. My hope for today is that each of us, um, oh sorry, you begin to understand the greatness of God as we spend time with him who he is and what he has done. 
And maybe for some of us, um, we, we don't know the new covenant or we don't have this boldness because maybe we don't know God like we should. Maybe you have a relationship and maybe you don't spend time with him like, like we would encourage you to do. Or maybe there's just not this connection there that you wish you had. And so I encourage you guys, what does it look like for you to grow in boldness in the new covenant? To, to have your confidence fully resting in that and then to be able to live out of that. As we close, um, the third point was the new covenant emboldens us to reflect Christ. As we close, don't overlook Jesus in all of this activity. We had VBS last week. Things were crazy. Um, you have jobs and places to go and, and vacations coming up. And it'll be easy, even as we come to church and listen and sing, to miss Jesus in all the activity. In John 5, a couple books before 2 Corinthians, John tells about the Pharisees who searched the scriptures daily and, and they missed Christ. They missed Jesus in all of that. And John says in chapter 5, hey, you, you missed him. You were looking in the Old Covenant. You had parts of the Old Covenant memorized maybe even all five books of the law, and they missed Jesus in that. And Paul writes here in 17, and this might sound confusing, but Paul is literally just waving his arms and saying, hey, you missed Jesus in the old covenant. He's the new covenant. Don't miss him. The Lord is spirit. And what this literally means is Paul says, you know, this is the ministry of the spirit. That's the new covenant. Or, you know, the new covenant is the summation of all that Christ is and accomplished and provides for us. So as it's so easy to miss him for the Pharisees, and again, we look at them and say, how could they miss Jesus in the Old Covenant, Paul's saying, please don't do that to the people, and I'm saying to us, me and you guys, please don't miss Jesus and his work and the joy of all this as we talk about this new covenant. This is my hope for each of us today, that we would not do all of this and miss a relationship and enjoy Jesus. So back to my question at the beginning, what do you place your confidence in today? Is it that things will go better is it that you'll have enough strength to, to make it to the end of the week? Is it in something temporary like a new pair of shoes? If your confidence is hinged on the glory of others, you will be left lacking. If you're waiting for someone else to affirm you, that is not enough. If your confidence is in anything other than Jesus, then you are living under the old covenant this morning. If you're here and you maybe don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, I'm asking you, is there a veil that is over you keeping from knowing God? Maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is. What is keeping you from turning to the Lord, as Paul says in, in chapter 16, and, and asking him to remove that veil this morning? From trusting Christ, from turning to him and saying, I want to believe in your work, in the new covenant. And lastly, here's this question for you. How do you engage with the people in your own strength? Do you feel like there's no hope for some people? Then again, we're living out of the old covenant. And I don't say this at you to shame anybody. I do this all the time. But I want us to think, because it's so easy to say, again, I believe the new covenant and to live like we're under the old covenant. Here's the main idea again. The new covenant validates us before the Father, empowers us through the Son, or empowers us through the Spirit, and emboldens us to reflect Christ. I'm going to give us an opportunity to respond here. In just a second, there will be um, people by the red tree over there that you are able to pray with about anything, and I and my wife will be by this red tree over here. And you can pray by the prayer bench over here, and you can pray in your seats if, if you feel uncomfortable and you just kind of want to hunker down. But we're asking you to, to talk to God, to say, where am I missing this morning? God, reveal to me in my heart where I might be trusting in the old covenant or living out of the old covenant versus the new covenant, which Paul's confidence is in. Um, we're going to take communion 
And what's, what's cool about this for this message is, is God calls communion the new covenant. So when, when we eat the, like, or take the cracker, I'll open one of these up, that is remembering the new covenant. It's remembering the, the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And when we take of the, the juice, that's remembering the new covenant where Jesus spilled his blood for us. If you aren't a Christian this morning, communion is not for you, but we would love to talk to you about how you can have hope in the work of Jesus and how you can be forgiven and how you can have access to the Father this morning. So take some time and pray. The band will come up in a second and and just talk to God. And then as he leads, join, take communion and join them in song. I'm going to pray for us and we'll be finished. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for Paul's message of the old covenant versus the new covenant. And God, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a people that not only says we know what the new covenant is, but we live out of that. God, that we don't have to to try to be something we're not, that we don't have to look for validation from others. Christ's work validates us. We are empowered by the Spirit to live this life out because we have access to the Father. And God, I pray that we would enjoy that this morning, that we would rest in that, and that would embolden us. We need you. We love you. Let us uh, look to you in this time. We pray this in your good name. Amen.